there's this old neuroscience saying that neurons that fire together wire together. Like a Nobel Prize was awarded for this very simple saying. So neurons firing in synchrony is this really important event that our neurons have adapted to realize. It's like, whoa, me and you, we just fired at exactly the same time. That was special. Let's, let's grow closer to each other. So we strengthen our synaptic connections with each other. Um, and this is the whole underpinning of learning and memory. Hey listeners, it's your host, Jeffrey Wu, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the HVMN Podcast. I've always been interested in enhancing cognition. As you guys know, I've spent many years studying nootropics and other techniques to make brains better. One of these interesting emerging techniques is transcranial direct current stimulation, TDCS, which is stimulating the brain with electricity. Enter Halo Neuroscience, a company that's built a TDCS headset called Halo Sport. What's the science behind TDCS and how does it work? I sit down with my friend, Dr. Daniel Chow, Halo's co-founder and CEO, and we discuss the technology powering Halo Sport and the research studies behind it. We dive into the biology of how neurons work and the concept of neurons' action potential, and we discuss why and how society buckets us into specialization as we age, but can we still keep that learning rate high even as we age and get older? Halo is an exciting technology that I look forward to continuing my experimentations with. They just launched a new version of their headset, Halo Sport 2 on pre-sale, and we're excited to hook you guys up with an extra $20 off in addition to their $100 pre-sale discount. Visit gethalosport.com slash HVMN or enter code HVMN at checkout. Now enjoy the episode. Dr. Dan Chell, thanks for coming into our office. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we've crossed paths multiple times. I think we've become good friends over the last couple of years. I would call you a good friend. I mean, I think, yeah, just a number of conferences in the broad human performance space. We work with a lot of the same customers in elite athletics, the Department of Defense, but I never really got to hear your full story and background. I know you're a medical doctor. You have a background in neuroscience. You actually were involved with the medical device company around brain and neuroscience. So I'm interested to hear about your medical training and your science training. Yeah. How it led you up to being in the human performance space with Halo Neuroscience. I was a biochemistry major in college. After that experience, I took two years off between undergrad and grad school to work at a lab at UCSF. I was working with this guy. I just lucked into this job. This guy, David Brett, B-R-E, D as in David, T as in Tom. I'd encourage your listeners to look this guy up. So at the time, he was the youngest tenure track professor ever hired by UCSF. He came straight out of an MD-PhD from Johns Hopkins, and he did some groundbreaking work in this field of looking at neurotransmitters, specifically nitric oxide, which mm -hmm. I think you've talked about in your work yeah. here at HVMN. So he was the fourth most cited author in the world at the time. He's 29 years old. During my two years with him, we published two papers in Cell, which is the most- a top journal. Yeah. And one of those papers was one of the most cited papers in all of science that year. A lot of that had to do with the role of nitric oxide in this disease called muscular dystrophy, which is an X-linked disease. Only boys get it, and it's universally fatal. That whole course of science where we just use basic science, just like working our ass off in a lab, 
making a discovery that could affect a population of people really changed my life. I guess many scientists dream of doing this, but here I was 22 years old and we did it. And now there's a drug based on those discoveries that are helping people with muscular dystrophy double their lifespan. I just thought to myself, like, I want to rinse and repeat this thing of doing science to help people. Populations of people, not one by one, but populations of people in one fell swoop with the discovery as many times as I can. So scaling up medicine beyond just like a clinician, just how do we make technology to help people? Yes. So he was an MD, PhD, and I said, I just want to be Dave. So for your listeners who don't know, there's this opportunity where you can get both degrees in about seven or eight years. And People who graduate from these programs tend to be scientists. Yeah. They tend to not practice medicine. Like they have an MD, but they tend to not practice clinical medicine. Got into Stanford, super thankful for that, and started on this long journey of getting both degrees. And during that time, two things happened. One was I started to realize that a chemical approach to the brain was wrong. Hmm. So I'm this biochemist and I'm really interested in drug discovery and basically drugging the brain with chemicals. And I realized that it's just too much to ask for a little molecule that you swallow by mouth to make it to the brain, to go to all the right places at just the right time for right. it to do its job. And for most drugs related to the brain, you see like very matter of fact and common sense problems with this whole approach. Right, there's a lot of uh, friendly fire across the rest of the body. Like the liver gets blasted, the kidney gets blasted, all these other vital organs right. get blasted unnecessarily. And there's a blood-brain barrier, right? So when people talk about nootropics, a lot of the people will say like, hey, these compounds don't actually cross the blood-brain barrier. How are you actually totally. getting these compounds where you're supposed to be? 100% yeah. correct. So the brain has this privileged circulation. Molecules need to pass the blood-brain barrier to interface with the brain. And that's appropriate because we know the brain is such an important sensitive organ. We should guard its circulation. So the blood-brain barrier does this. So we're asking a little drug to go around the whole body and then get through the blood-brain barrier so that it can interact with the brain. But, you know, the brain is like chemically relatively homogeneous. Like there's these receptors and neurotransmitters and they do certain things, but they're kind of all over the place. And this is how we drug the brain. We just hope that it sticks to the right place when like chemically it's more homogeneous than we would want. I still remember taking these pharmacology classes in medical school that while drugs work amazing for the rest of the body, like drugs is a miracle of modern medicine, really, drugs for the brain are very poor, perhaps as bad as it gets. It's down there with cancer drugs. I would say it's just also shown in business, right? All the big pharma companies have kind of shut down their neurological programs. I yeah. don't think it's just like yeah. well, you seeing it from the student perspective. That's true. These that's big true. drug programs are being shut down. There's less drug discovery in brain disorders and it's really the only, the very brave that are still doing it. Yeah. But some of these drugs are still like blockbuster drugs. I mean, you know, like the whole SSRI category, you know, the Prozac family of drugs, yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, the antipsychotic category of drugs. Still like multi-billion dollar drugs for Eli Lilly and other pharma companies yeah, that are enough. making drugs. Yeah. And yet they kind of suck. So, you know, you're a Stanford grad. Stanford encourages you to take a step back and rethink a completely different approach. And so I did that and I was thinking like, what if we built a physical device, like a neurostimulator for the brain? A physical device has some really key advantages over a drug. Like a physical device, we can dribble the electricity exactly where we want, thereby avoiding the rest of the body, the rest of the brain, leaving it alone. Also with a physical device, there's a circuit, right? We connect it to a circuit and we can turn it on and off like a light bulb. 
at our disposal. With a drug, there's like no antidote that you can just turn it off, right? Yeah. If you're having a bad day with side effects, you can't turn off the drug. So then I was like, wow, what if we used electricity as medicine? So like what started as a concept led to my first company. I wasn't a founder there. I was a single digit employee at this company called Neuropace. So I joined a team where the idea is like, what if we used electricity to treat seizure disorder? So seizure disorder is epilepsy and drugs for epilepsy are notoriously bad. Yeah. Like one third don't work at all. You would rather have epilepsy than the side effects of the drugs. So that's another one third where it doesn't work. And then one third, it works okay. So we developed, think of it as like a pacemaker for the brain. It's this medical implant where electrodes go into the brain and there's this onboard computer that's listening to the brain, only delivering electricity when the brain's about to have a seizure. Is this under the skull? Or is it over the skull? Is it implanted? We take away a piece of skull that is the same size and shape as this pacemaker thing. Yeah. And we drop the hardware into that hole we just made. Turns out that's not that big of a deal. You know, we thought it was a big deal, as, but then we talked to neurosurgeons that are like, no, this is child's play. Yeah. Like putting the electrodes in the brain, that's the hard part. So yeah, we developed this device and it was a big project. It was 10 years of my life. We raised $250 million before one penny of revenue was generated. <laughs> can you believe that? I mean, in Silicon Valley, yes, I can. <laughs> but I mean, that's, yeah, that's quite a think that's about yourself as an entrepreneur, like yeah. <laughs> raising $250 million before, I mean, that's just selling the promise, like yeah. year over year, raise over raise. I think we were on series H by the time I left and we had wow. FDA approval and we were selling products. So it's out there in clinical practice helping thousands of people with epilepsy in a way that I don't think the world could have imagined before we got there. So yeah, long, arduous, very difficult entrepreneurial experience, like learned a ton, super thankful for the outcome and that again, we're able to help a population of people with a piece of technology. Right. Um, so 1% of the world is epilepsy. Like many of us think it's a small disease, but it's actually huh. a highly prevalent disease. That's surprising. I didn't- Yeah, that's be, material, yeah, right? it's super material. That's 600, 700 million people. Yeah, yeah in the United States, it's like yeah. good 3 million people that have epilepsy. It was also awesome to see other companies doing similar things with neurostimulation. So right now there's neurostimulators for chronic pain. They stimulate the spinal cord. There's neurostimulators for Parkinson's disease. They stimulate these nuclei in the thalamus and the basal ganglia. There's a neurostimulator for incontinence. It controls the nerve that closes the sphincter of the bladder. So these are all like multi-hundred million dollar companies at its low end. Right. And these are all FDA medical devices, medical gone device. clinical trials, and doctors prescribe and, I don't know, install or implant these devices into, Correct. into patients. And multi-tens of thousands of dollars for one unit. Yeah. And all, like you said, medical implants. And because, because covers it, these are all completely within sure. the healthcare system. For sure. Yeah. There's codes, like reimbursement codes and all that stuff yeah. for these products. But many of your listeners may have never heard of this cottage industry that's actually quite big. Yeah. And that's because it's only the very ill can benefit from this technology. Like who would assume the surgery and the hardware implanted unless you were like pretty desperate? Like yeah. you tried everything and you have pretty severe disease and you've come to like, like what's left? Well, there's this medical implant and so you go for it. There was one side of this whole experience that was really positive. It's like, whoa, new thing for you know this like really needy patient population. But there was this other thing that's like, shit, only a small percentage of these people will actually benefit from it because there's another percentage of these people that are just freaked out by the medical implant. Yeah, sometimes as a technologist, you just assume that if you build it good enough, people will just do it. 
but that only goes to a certain point. Yeah. And I think brain stimulation, like a brain implant crosses that line for a lot of people. So then I was thinking like, how can we make this even better? I've seen it with my own eyes that this can work, that electricity could be used as medicine to augment humanity, right? In this case, treating the disease, in other cases, like healthy people enhancing their performance. But how can we make this so that it's more accessible? And the only way to do that is to make it a wearable. You cannot, like, oh, it's cool. Let's yeah, just I'm do a pretty some crazy casual... biohacker. It'd be hard to convince me to like, okay, let's do some brain surgery, crack open your skull All right, and so an if, electrode. Right, if <laughs> Jeff Wu is not ready for it, the world is probably not ready yeah. for it. So <laughs> what are so-called non-invasive techniques to modulate neural activity with neurostimulation with electric fields? And what we found at the time, so this goes back a while, like 10 years ago, there was about 500 papers published on this topic. Mm-hmm. Today, there's about 4,000 papers. So the field's really grown since we first looked at it. And we were really impressed with those early papers, so much so that we started tinkering, building our own very rudimentary devices, like biohacking stuff, yeah. right? Like in literally our garage and living room, like testing it on ourselves and bringing in our friends, testing it on them, replicating other people's work in our own like makeshift lab. Yeah. And that gave us confidence in the technology. Like when we could replicate other people's work, we're like, this thing has some legs. So that gave us the courage to write up a business plan, raise some money, leave Do you have our, an electrical engineering background to start building a little own TDCS devices? My like, co-founder does, okay. <laughs> not me. <laughs> but yeah, my co-founder is an amazing engineer. He's the CTO of the company. Yeah. And like, yeah, he basically hand-built a simple TDCS device. Yeah. And we went to work on ourselves and we read papers and just replicated other people's protocols and were able to generate more or less their result. And so that led- I just like, don't mean feet in science right now, where I think some people would say there's a crisis in science where a lot of these studies aren't replicatable. Right, a lot of psychology experiments that we all, you know, very well know mm. and hear about, like the Stanford Marshmallow experiment, apparently has been debunked. So it is non-trivial to say that you can replicate. Thank you for saying that, because there's a lot of bold, like we say, oh, published literature, yeah. peer-reviewed. A lot of that stuff is still garbage. Like a lot <laughs> of that could be just like a straight-up lie. Yeah. Even if it's peer-reviewed, I mean, the peer-review process like helps, but it's like our justice system. It's not absolute. Right. And so, you know, for me, and, you know, I would encourage your listeners to really challenge even what's peer reviewed in a makeshift study on themselves or with their friends to just like prove it out for themselves. And it was important for us, like, you know, I'm, for me and, you know, for any entrepreneur, like when you choose to found a company, you burn the bridge behind you, right? Like you're raising money, you're risking everything. Yeah. Like for me, like my scientific credibility, which took a lifetime to build, I'm putting on the line to found this company around this core technology that yeah. is called TDCS. So TDCS, for the folks that aren't aware of the acronym, what is it? What are the basic principles? Sure. What are the physics and the physiology behind totally. this, this methodology? Transcranial direct current stimulation, so TDCS. TDCS, for those who don't have electrical engineering backgrounds, it just involves putting a direct current running across your scalp. That's the DC. So the frequency is zero. A lot of folks who like kind of know things about brain stimulation is like, oh, well, what's the frequency? Well, the fr- there's no frequency. It's just one long, big, long DC pulse. And this DC pulse, in our case, it's 20 minutes, creates this electric field that if it's of a certain strength can penetrate the skull and interact with the cortex. So there's a limit how deep it can penetrate. So basically think about it as just being strong enough to get through the skull and interacting with just mere millimeters 
of depth into the cortex. Because that was going to be one of my follow-up questions, actually. So I'm glad we're diving into some of the questions, right? Like if you were a devil's advocate, okay, mm. skull is thick. Are yep. you actually, without implanting an electrode into the brain itself, yes. Yes. are you actually getting enough of a field right. to penetrate the skull? So it sounds like you have data that says that it does. So there's this contrarian view, which you just asked about. It's like, well, you know, what are we talking about? Like in our case, it's like 2.2 milliamps. That's at its max. Yeah. Is that enough of an electric field to get through the skull, which like, you know, that's millimeters thick of bone. Yeah. Turns out that it is. Yeah. We can model this, but, you know, modeling is just modeling. What's more important is that you can show some sort of physiology change. So how could we measure this empirically? Okay, so let's pick on motor cortex because it's just a nice system because there's an output that is movement. So you can put this TMS coil. TMS coil is transcranial magnetic stimulation, and you could use this to fire a magnetic pulse across the skull strong enough that you can trigger a muscle contraction. Hmm. Okay, so you can use this as an assay, as an experimental system, just like, okay, let's fire a magnetic pulse just strong enough to trigger a muscle contraction in your thumb. And for whatever reason, they pick on extensor pollicis longus. This so you little, can just raise your thumb. Exactly. So you go like this, and <laughs> yeah. you can put a little sensor here to measure how strong that muscle contraction was. Yeah. So like the smallest amount of magnetic stimulation to trigger a muscle contraction, like this is your system. Yeah. Now, what if we did things to manipulate the system? What if we made you stay up all night? did the same thing. Like what happens to this muscle contraction? What if we gave you different drugs, like an antidepressant or an ADHD drug or whatever? Sure. You can manipulate the system with different uh, insults to the system. Now, what if you did TDCS? So it turns out that if you do TDCS, the magnetic pulse is going like this and your thumb is going like this, like a small twitch. Right. After TDCS, the same magnetic pulse, this is what happens. A much larger Interesting. Muscle contraction, right? So somehow the TDCS is facilitating the system, right? It's making it, it's like this tissue is more excitable so that a given amount of impulse, keep the impulse the same, is triggering a bigger muscle contraction. Right. This was the fundamental foundational work by these two German scientists that came up with this in like 2003, 2004 right. timeframe. And from this experiment, gave birth to the modern field of TDCS. So basically you're saying from a mathematical model in terms of the theoretical depth of penetration, and then you're actually running an assay to actually see if you're actually neuropriming, if this, actually is, this intervention actually potentiates an action. And it looks like the data is there that, yes, you can actually manipulate. Yeah, and there's a dose response curve and like there's everything about it. And this is like, like one more thing that's interesting. So 20 minutes of TDCS, you take away the TDCS electrode this effect is still there. So there's this afterglow effect that you don't need the TDCS electrode to be there for this effect to happen. Yeah. So that was also this magical result that these two German scientists developed. It's like, holy shit. So not only do we get this effect while the TDCS is on, but there's this afterglow that lasts for about an hour. Right. I think getting into the neuroscience a little bit, I think, which is interesting for our audience. So the electric field potentiates the neuron potential, this, this firing mechanism of the neurons. How does that exactly work? What is the mechanism there? Uh, obviously, we don't necessarily need to do a masterclass PhD level right. thesis on it, but at a high level, what is exactly going on there that allows someone to be in this prime state where you can potentiate action? I'll say it 
the neuroscience way, and then we'll back off and talk more conceptually. So for neurons, their whole life, their whole point in being in our body is to fire action potentials. Action potentials propagate signals across our brain through different circuits, and that does everything for us. It encodes learning and memory. It encodes movement. It encodes emotions. It triggers sleep. Everything in the brain is about firing action potentials for our benefit. Now, the fundamental event of an action potential, like how does an action potential get triggered? So it's when the neuron's resting membrane potential hits what's called the threshold potential. So the neurons at rest, if the resting member potential like lifts up to this threshold potential, this magic fires, happens, yeah. exactly, this exponential thing happens where it fires this action potential. So think of firing an action potential like you doing a pull-up. So you're hanging up on a pull-up bar and you're trying to get your chin above this bar. And like once you do, this magical thing happens. A lot of biological systems are triggered in this way where there's thresholds. And once a threshold that hits, this cascade of events happens. Right. So and all uh, these signals go into the neuron to essentially charge it up enough until it fires. Exactly. So if there's enough neural input so that this resting membrane potential, like are you lifting up to get above this pull-up bar, is hit, then this magic happens of triggering an action potential. Right, but if you so, don't actually trigger, there's no action potential. So it's kind of like a binary switch. It's like that's, all that's or nothing. Right. If it's sub-threshold, it might as well have nothing would have happened. Yeah. So what TDCS does to a neuron is if you saw me struggling to do a pull-up and you're like, I know this dude, I'll give him some help. And you give me 20 pounds of assistance. Yeah. Whoa, okay, now I've got some help. I can do a pull-up now. Yeah. So we're like that 20 pounds of assistance to a neuron. We're just lifting the resting membrane potential slightly so that it's closer to the threshold potential. So that in and of itself is not that interesting. It gets interesting when you pair that with training, right? So like right. you've got to do the right. other 80% like, I think of the, the work, is like, right? Yeah, why would that even be good? Now, like it sounds like we're going to talk about why that, that would be good. Yeah, so like for you, the 20 pounds of assistance, like you can sit there and give me 20 <laughs> pounds of assistance, but there's like another 160 pounds that... It's like, listen, I like I know this guy, but I'm not going to do everything for him, right? right? It's the same thing with TDCS and the brain. So we can do some of the work, but the user needs to do the rest of the work, and that's where the magic happens. So with Halo Sport, we're stimulating the motor cortex, and the motor cortex is responsible, amongst other brain regions, for movement. It's a critical movement center in the brain. So what we want people to do is stimulate the motor cortex and then go train movement. Right. If you don't train movement, then you just wasted a perfectly good TDCS session, right? So we want you to train or to use Halo Sport for 20 minutes. And then for the next hour, we want you to train movement. Because like the threshold potential is lower. So every time that you actually train the movement, your action potential fires more easily. And that's going to basically train your movement patterns better. Right. So Essentially now, like the kind of a crappy way of saying it probably. Yeah. So let's let's take it the next step. So yeah. a population of neurons, say in this case, the motor cortex is now more excitable and now you're training, right? So what happens there that makes you better at movement? So there's this old neuroscience saying that neurons that fire together wire together. Like a Nobel prize was awarded for this very simple saying. So neurons firing in synchrony is this really important event that our neurons have adapted to realize it's like, whoa, me and you, we just fired at exactly the same time. That was special. Let's, let's grow closer to each other. So we strengthen our synaptic connections with each other. And this is the whole underpinning of learning and memory. 
like neurons that fire together, wire together. This wiring together is a literal physical transformation of the way these two neurons are interacting with each other. They grow towards each other. They strengthen those synapses right. with each other physically. So the axons, like, like the little dendrites, actually get closer together. Closer together, and these synapses yeah. grow fatter. Huh. And you could stick them under an electron microscope, and you could see it. Like this is a computer chip that could morph to your benefit. Yeah. Like you etch a piece of silicon from Intel, like that's a static computer chip. Like imagine if this thing can morph to you whichever way you want to teach it, right? right? That's our brain. That's why it's so magical. So we're just trying to hasten this process, right? Like we're just creating this population of neurons, in this case, the motor cortex, combining it with movement so that we can probabilistically, statistically increase the likelihood of two neurons firing in synchrony. Right. And then if we do that, then learning happens at an accelerator rate. That's our whole value proposition. Which is pretty compelling, right? So basically use this electrical potential to hasten learning, which is almost like a free lunch, which is, which is awesome. I think one thing that is interesting for me is that the audio headset, the areas of your electrodes where it hits the motor cortex, is, it seems almost convenient that like the top area of your brain is exactly where like a headset would sit. I mean, if the motor cortex was somewhere else or if some other regions of the brain were there, I mean, how would you think about that? Did it happen to be a happy coincidence because the motor cortex was where a headset would set? If like the visual cortex was there, for example, would Halo right. Sport be like Halo seeing things better? Yeah, Curious to hear book. about you know how you're oh, talking man. exact regions. I love this question because like for once in my life, professionally, I got lucky. <laughs> Are you on a ketogenic diet? Interested in intermittent fasting? Well, listen up. We're launching three brand new products to make keto and fasting easier and better. HVMN MCT oil powder, Keto Collagen Plus, and Fasting Aid. Our MCT oil powder is made of pure C8 fat for fast and sustained keto energy. Our Keto Collagen Plus blends grass-fed collagen protein with MCT C8 to give you the best of the worlds of fat and protein. And our Fasting Aid doubles down on the metabolic benefits of fasting while helping suppress appetite. Currently, these are all on pre-sale at 10% off. The pre-sale discount ends on February 22nd, 2019. Visit www.hvmn.com pod to learn more. You can still order after that date, but without that 10% off discount. So act fast. Now, back to the podcast. We love motor cortex, one, because the data is so strong. Yeah. There's a lot in the published literature, and like we also did a lot of work with our own research to prove it out. And then we just thought, boy, this is a really new technology for the world. People are going to call bullshit on us. If like, it's, a, it's a good claim, anything anything that sounds like good. Too good to be true. Should, like people, people should challenge it. Right. And yeah. people should challenge it. The motor system is one of these areas where people can prove it to themselves. I mean, you're probably feeling this too with yeah. HVMN, right? Yeah. Like take this thing, freaking put yourself on a bike and do an FTP test. Yeah. You can see for yourself that this thing is working. And the motor system is like this beautiful thing that like it's quantitative. Like you can put numbers against it and I can show that you can jump higher if you train with Halo Sport. Partly it was a byproduct of how easy it is to measure the motor system okay. and the data that led us towards movement training first. And then we're like, whoa, the motor cortex sits like a horseshoe ear to ear. Yeah. Headphones. <laughs> this is awesome, right? Yeah. Let's build it into a set of headphones. The hardware looks like a set of headphones for those that are watching on video. 
And these things are the electrodes. So these things is where the electric field is created. What if you wasn't sitting on properly, if it moves? How do you assuage those concerns? Yeah. What if I put it on a different part of my brain? Yep. Is that going to trigger something that I want, don't yeah. want? I don't know the regions of the brain perfectly, yeah, but yeah. what if I put this in the back of my head, the front of my head? Am I stimulating other parts that yeah. can I learn faster or something, like other, trigger other regions? Let's talk about folks that are trying to do the right thing, but just screw up a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> okay. Because you described some other things where people are purposely doing something yeah. different. So yeah. if you put this on like a regular set of headphones, there are some instructions for use. Yeah. Like if you're standing up straight, the headset should be vertical. Yeah. Now, for whatever reason, like younger folks, just for style reasons, like like to kick it back a little bit. Yeah. So that's not hitting motor cortex. So tell so them you're doing it wrong. You're like, doing it wrong. What are you hitting? What's behind the motor cortex? Uh, so yeah, you could be hitting language center. Or you could be <laughs> like you could be hitting something other than motor cortex. Okay. So as long as you put it on such that it's more or less vertical, like we're hitting motor cortex. Okay. So we've designed these electrodes to be about a centimeter too wide. So if you're a centimeter off, we got you covered. Okay. If you're beyond that, then maybe we don't have all of the motor cortex covered, but we've got probably most of it. Right. Maybe some of your audience is thinking like, well, like it's a centimeter too wide. That means there's some friendly fire. Yeah. Some of its neighbors are being hit. So we know that. So some primary sensory cortex is being hit. Some supplementary motor cortex is getting hit. If anything, we think this might help us a little bit. But because it's the coincidence of where you stimulated and what you're training, right? Like those are the two things that need to happen for the simulation to work. I now, see. Let's say someone didn't go through the app and they've got it tilted way too far back. So, right. so they're not hitting motor cortex at all. So the worst that could happen is that you're just wasting your time. So you're not getting any of the lift in learning that you would have had you hit motor cortex. And so if you're hitting language cortex, you're not training language, you're doing exercise. All that priming doesn't do anything because you're not even firing in that reach anyways. Right. So like generally when you're working out, you're not talking that much. Yeah. So, you know, you're not exercising your language capabilities. Right. So yeah, the worst that could happen is just you're wasting your time. You wasted yeah. a perfectly good neurostimulation session. Right. So what if you went <laughs> off the map, right? Yeah. And you're like, hey, I know what this thing is doing. Like, yeah. what if I put this over visual cortex right. or I put it over prefrontal cortex or right. whatever? And we know people do this. Okay. And we love these people. <laughs> I think it's awesome. You know, it's like, this is a brain stimulator, right. right? And it doesn't, you don't necessarily need it to wear it over motor cortex. You could tilt it forward, tilt it backwards. I would just ask those people to make sure they get their neuroanatomy right. Like, you know, headphones are really ideally set up for hitting the top of your head. Right. And if you want to do like visual cortex, it's not optimized for that, but you can definitely hit visual cortex. And there's data that shows that you can, enhance visual acuity in Damn, post. that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Like I need that because I have more in contacts. I need to get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like um, contacts and everything else yeah. in corrective surgery is about changing the sensor. Right. right. Or the lens. Yeah. But it turns out that like, you know, it's just like uh, cell phones these days. Like the lens often stays the same, but right. the processor gets better. Right. And that's how we take better photos. It's just like the computational processing gets better. Yeah. Turns out you can do the same thing with vision. Interesting. So not to digress, but yeah. Like, well, I uh, think it's interesting. I mean, I think that's like where people, I think obviously this is designed for mortar cortex and improving sport performance and performance in that aspect. But it's interesting to see like, if you want to take this off the road, off the paved road, <laughs> where could you go, right? And it's like, okay, at the end of the day, you have like, what it sounds like is like a world-class TDCS device designed for motor cortex. But if you want to take it off-road, that could be interesting for f experimental folks, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the craziest 
your stories you've heard personally, given your customers. I know, obviously, you have great case studies with the American ski team, other professional athletes. We can talk about the sports indications, but curious to hear about kind of the more wacky use cases. I know that I've seen some of your testimonials with people playing instruments. They feel like they're learning faster when they're playing piano, for example. Mm -hmm. Any people trying to use this for, I don't know, memory exercises, memory competitions? Mm -hmm. I would say a co-number one in terms of volume of data alongside motor cortex is this part of the brain in your prefrontal cortex called the DLPFC. So dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. So for your audience, imagine the lateral aspects of your eyes, like take that up to your hairline. That's where it sits. And this part of the brain is important for cognitive control. So think of focus, attention, vigilance. All of these things are byproducts of cognitive control. Cognitive control is thinking about the things that you want to think about while pushing out all the distractors. People talk about flow states. Flow states, to me, is defined as a long run of cognitive control, right? Where the world could be falling around you and distractors everywhere, but you're in the state where you're like, I'm thinking about this one thing and it's so fluid, right? A long run of cognitive control begets enhanced memory. Like whatever you're studying, will just stick to your brain. Like, I don't know if you've had these epic study sessions. Like I think, I think we day. all wish we could always be in flow, right? I think we've all probably in our lives at some point have gone, done some activity, done something where you're like, wow, like time is just flying by. Yeah, and things are just clicking, yeah. right? Like you're on fire for a meeting or there's a study session where just everything goes in. Yeah. So there are people that use Halo Sport tilted forward and granted, it looks a little goofy. Like how much forward? Like just yeah. So basically, right at your hairline. Okay. Right. And they want to turn on always the left DLPFC. Okay. So in that case, they would turn on the right hand. So there's three menu yeah. off. You know yeah. this because yeah, yeah. you're a Halo Sport user. Yeah. There's like the three panels that you can turn on and off. Yeah. That's right. And you know we make it easier for our customers. You just pick the body part. Right. But if you pick the body part of the right hand, that means the left electrode is the active one. That's the business end. Okay. So it's pretty awesome. I got to try that. I have not tried it that way. So I'm a Halo Sport, I guess, version one customer. What triggered me to try it, this is probably a little bit over a year and a half ago, was at a charity boxing match I needed to train for. I'm like, a charity boxing match? <laughs> Long story. A friend, his name is Nagib, and I decided to, to box we, each other? We were talking about the Mayweather-McGregor fight. And we're like, all right, like that was, I think, during the fall of 2017 and we're like all right this sounds kind of fun let's just like do something crazy he wanted to like train for something i was like hey maybe let's let's like fight let's just like put on a little charity thing and then we just train hardcore for like three months and just like punch the crap out of each other which is fun are you still friends <laughs> yeah we're, we're great friends i mean i think it's like a bonding experience that like you don't really share with a lot of people i think in one of the conversations i've had about it it was just you never get to that kind of intensity in a normal life. Like you just see someone mm. trying to kill you. I was trying to kill him. Like I was legit trying to kill him. <laughs> and you could see it in his eyes. He was legit trying to kill me. <laughs> You're crazy. Um, that you just don't normally get to that kind of intensity in everyday civilization, which is probably a good thing. But it allowed me to kind of see that side of humanity. So that what got me into like, all right, I'm going to get every single advantage I can have. I think one thing that you, that stuck with me that I think we had talked about in a previous conversation that 
you know, sport is essentially a game of getting advantage over your opponents. Mm -hmm. That's why you train. That's why you have better nutrition. That's why you have little proprietary secrets or tactics or strategies. Mm -hmm. And I saw this as an interesting way to tap into that. But yes, I'm, I'm curious here about the upgrade to version two. I know that this is on pre-sales now. It'll be released in the spring. What were the big improvements here? What have you learned with version one to go into yeah. version two? I think version one users like yourself will really appreciate this. And then for everybody else, they'll just take it for granted. Yeah. So as an OG, let me share. So you remember those three electrodes or three primers. Just from a aesthetic perspective, it looks, it looks super clean. It looks like less bulky. So now it's yeah. just, it's one primer strip. So just like less stuff to manage. Yeah. The foam on the nibs, is it just a different foam chemistry that soaks up water a lot better? Like our biggest complaint was that it was hard to get good scalp contact. Mm -hmm. Um, and we pretty much solved that. We understood that it was just that the foam wasn't getting wet enough. Sounds trivial, but ended up being like a somewhat big problem. We had to fix it. <laughs> and the water is needed to pass current. Correct. That's necessary. We can't cheat physics. Yeah. And then we got a lot of feedback that our customers were using the headset as their primary audio headphones. Yeah. And for us, Halo Sport 1, the audio was kind of an afterthought. Right. Like we just threw in some drivers at the and, last and moment. And it was wired, right? And it was wired. Right. So with this one, we did a proper acoustic engineering process, like tuned everything. And now it's wireless. And the sound quality rivals Bose and GBL. Kicks the shit out of beats. This is like when you sit at the desk, you just, when you listen to music, this is so it can rocking be. this. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, we understand that a lot of folks can't afford both over-the-ear right. headphones and a neurostimulator. So, of course, we want people to buy this for the neurostimulation first and foremost. <laughs> but it can actually double as your nice over-the-ear wireless headphones now. I know it's not designed to wear this while you're doing your actual training. It's like a 20-minute priming session beforehand, then an hour of actual exercise. But I think maybe a lot of people just start doing some sort of warm-ups and obviously some sort of wiredness for audio is not the ideal setup. That's right. But solving that problem seems like a nice step up in terms of the user experience. Yeah, thanks a lot, Apple. <laughs> Way to ditch the cord. Yeah. But no, I think it's pushing the world in the right direction yeah. if we can just go wireless for everything. Oh, I should mention that the price came down. So the old product was $749. The new product is $399. It was just making them in higher volumes to say, so we can negotiate volume discounts and this kind of thing. So That's super cool. So going back to the sports side, like what are some of the big wins? I know there's some case studies you had with American USA ski teams. I know you work with a lot of cyclists. I know you've done work with the U.S. government, with the military side. What are some of the key anecdotes on that side of the house? I think we kind of jumped around talking about kind of the off-label use cases, but I want to hear about the, the design use cases and some of the wins and stories there. They cut across actually a pretty wide swath of who we call movement specialists. So it could be on one side powerlifters, where we've got a fair number of powerlifting world records, like our athletes have set powerlifting world records. Awesome. The complete opposite end of the spectrum is like a violinist. So not with the creative or emotional side of producing music, but like the purely mechanical side right. of putting your finger on the right place on the string so that it produces the right sound and like the mechanics of learning that skill. So like what's the common thread between these two people? Motor is, cortex. Yeah, motor yeah. cortex. Yeah. It's that they practice this movement over and over and over again, begging their brain to commit it to memory. And it takes forever, right? It takes thousands, millions of reps to get it right. Yeah. What if we can accelerate that process with neurostimulation? It turns out that we can. It's been fun talking to people about like what makes an elite athlete. Like how can we augment human capabilities yeah. so that we can get more out of our bodies? 
And I think for athletes, it's a race against time. Biologically, we are going to start breaking down so that you're not in your physical prime yep. at some point. Yep. So it's about getting as much motor learning as you can while you're still in your prime. So I would argue that the best athletes are the fastest learners. So like Steph Curry, not a physical specimen, right? Many people are as tall and as big as Steph Curry, and yet he's the best basketball player of a generation. And I would argue, and people talk about, oh, he practices a lot, and he does. But a lot of people practice a lot. Maybe even more. Yeah. And they're not Steph. Yeah. So what is it about Steph, right? Like Steph learns faster. Yeah. With the same number of reps, his brain gets more out of it. So in this arms race, how can we catch up to stuff? Right. Right. How can we figure out a way so that we can get more out of our reps? Because let's face it, like training hard and long is kind of celebrated in culture. Right. I think we should question why we train so much, right? Like taking a step back, like why does it take so many three-pointers to get even like a fraction as good as stuff? And that's just because we're begging our brain to like learn this movement pattern. Right. And be more consistent in executing this movement pattern. Right. Or anything in life, like right. learning a foreign language. It's like, boy, like, please, brain, I'm going to do Duolingo again, right? <laughs> like, please, I'm begging you to memorize these words right. and these sentence structures so that I could use it when I go to Italy, right? Right. I think we all envy really young people and how quickly they can learn right? because their brain is just like hyperplastic and it's so awesome to be young and just to have everything stick like watching young people pick up a foreign language, like literally within months, they're like semi-fluent. Yeah. yeah. While an adult, it takes, I don't know, years before you can get half as good as, so. I guess it's like, a trade-off, right? Like the plasticity is valuable when you're young to learn new skills, but I guess when you're older, you're more specialized and the existing pathways are just more static. Yeah. So it's but, that trade-off of youthful blank slate to like, okay, we've at this point when you're 30, 40, 50, You've specialized in some pathways that your neurons are used to be firing in, and they're yeah. going to be more efficient. But let me ask you: And how you to get this. the best of both worlds is kind of like the question, right? Are we specialized because we can't learn something new? <laughs> like, are we specialized because we have to be specialized? I don't think it's thoughtful. I think it just our civilization, our environment has trained us right. to be specialized in some sort of arbitrary set of things. Right. So, like, you know, I feel feel like at some point in age you're differentiated career-wise, right? Yeah. Like, oh, Dan Chow is a neurostimulation guy. Yeah. And maybe we've become to think this way because, well, Dan can't learn things fast <laughs> enough to do something different. Like, I can't, like, apply for a marketing job in, right. you know, some other industry. Yeah, I'm not going to be a professional musician now. Yeah. Right, because I just have no faith in this guy that yeah. he can't learn it fast enough. Right. But with neurostimulation, I would want to just re-question all yeah, of that. Yeah, can you change right? that paradigm? Can we change that paradigm? Like, can we all be faster learners? And if we could be faster learners, like, we're starting with movement, but, like, let's just have some fun. Like, what if we could all be faster learners so that we can pick up a second language faster? Right. And we could have people learning Arabic so that we could have better, more diplomats with the Middle East. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Right. Or it could be anything in life. Like, think about life dreams that you had as a kid that maybe you gave up on because you're just frustrated with yourself that you can't learn it fast enough. Right. Yeah. I'm also just thinking from like a therapeutic side for like PTSD, which is something that comes top of mind to me. Like, a lot of the theories of why you have PTSD is that some of these memories are so ingrained in your neuron firing pathways that they're just over-simulated or over-imprinted. Can you use something like neurostimulation to 
retrain that some of those pathways. So you're not just stressed out. Totally. Any sort of reminder. Totally. Like forgetting is learning. Yeah. Right. That's neuroplasticity. Like neuroplasticity, we've been talking about the formation of new neural connections, but it's also the destruction of ones that you don't want anymore. Right. You know, looking out five, 10 year dream of what Halo could become is that the broader statement like, hey, we want to enable people to learn faster. I think both of our companies, we, I see like we're human performance companies, yeah. right? Um, we're thinking of ways of augmenting human capabilities. So like right now, you know, it's about movement. It's about healthy people augmenting their movement capabilities, movement learning. But, you know, I see this as potentially a drug alternative on the disease side, like folks that are suffering from some sort of psychiatric or neurologic condition and they don't really like their drug but it's the best that they're out there right like there should be some sort of counterweight against that there should be another option right and i think that other option could be using neurostimulation so that's the doctor side in me like i see at some point halo being both a consumer and a medical company yeah i mean i think that's like the future i'm sure when journalists ask like, you know what what do you think healthcare what do you think how does biohacking tie in with healthcare and all of that i don't think anyone would say that the existing healthcare system is working necessarily and i think a lot of it totally. will have to be lifestyle driven or individual driven it has to be somewhat personalized to yourself totally i don't think you can expect that an overworked doctor that you know is working in this mm. kind of very cumbersome healthcare insurance system is going to necessarily know yeah. and be able to care as much, frankly, I agree. Like, about we don't you yourself, caring about yourself. necessarily need to wait for, you know, the powers that be to offer products to us. I agree. Like, you know, there should be like individualization or just taking matters into your own hands, right? One should have a thoughtful approach, like yeah. a data-driven approach, but yep. like to wait for big pharma companies and the FDA to get around to something. It takes a while, but I think the process is there for a reason, but I think it's also that I think most things are decentralizing. I think the internet was great for decentralizing information. I think you could make the argument that Reach. cryptocurrency are decentralizing mm -hmm. financial institutions. And I would say like the parallel to me in the human performance or biohacking space is that we're starting to decentralize some of the ivory tower mm -hmm. knowledge in the medical space. Okay, how can rational, educated people that are looking to read the same PubMed papers, the same published papers, interpret them and apply that possibly to their own use cases or own totally. indications. One last thing before I forget, I know that you've generously provided a special offer for the HVMN podcast listeners. Yeah, so Halo Sport 2 is on pre-sale right now for a hundred bucks off the retail price. So it's $2.99 for pre-sale or ship in April. We'd love to offer your listeners a special code where they can get another 20 bucks off. So $2.79. $2.79, code is HVMN. That's a good deal. That's a steal. I mean, you get like a high quality audio device, plus you get some neurostimulation on the That's side. That's right. I mean, I think it was a very fascinating conversation behind the physics and the physiology behind TDCS and what you're doing with Halo. I think it's a super helpful conversation to demystify what's something that could sound a little bit too good to be true, but looks like the science and data is there. And I had a personally positive experience with version one, right. so I'm excited to try out version two. So looking forward to continue the conversation and see how much we can do to change the world and change the paradigm here. Totally, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for tuning in this week. Every month, we release a new HVMN product offer available on our website. Simply visit www.hvmn.com pod to view this month's special offer. Of course, writing reviews and sharing the show with your friends are appreciated as well. Until next time, Jeff out.